The most transformative times in my life have come about, I think, as a result of a trusted friend calling me a hypocrite. And I confess that it never once felt good to hear that. And yet I can't imagine, I can't even begin to imagine how many joys in my life would simply not exist if those friends had not said something. So I sincerely believe that someone pointing out your hypocrisy in love is one of the greatest gifts that someone can give you. And I hope you believe that too. And if you don't already believe that, I hope you soon will. Because today, Jesus is going to lovingly declare you and I to be hypocrites. And here's why. Last week we saw that Jesus was speaking to his disciples with an entire crowd listening in. And he told them that they should love their enemies like their heavenly father loves his enemies. And that they should be merciful like their heavenly father is merciful. And that's great. But the problem, it seems, is that some in his audience think that they're already doing that. They think that they're holy, but they're actually hypocrites. So let's, up, uh, let's pick up reading from Luke 6, verses 37 and 38, which will be up on the screen. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. These days, even many non-Christians know Luke 6.37, right? Judge not. And many apply Jesus' words by declaring to others, Judge not. You mustn't judge me, my lifestyle, my choices, my religion, or anything else about me. Didn't Jesus himself say, judge not? So, judge not. And of course, it is true that Jesus does say here, judge not. But what does he mean by that? Well, we can, we can know that he doesn't mean that we ought not to make any judgments. For example, in John chapter 7, Jesus says, Do not judge by appearances, but do judge with right judgment. And in just a few more minutes, right here in this very text that we're looking at this morning, we'll see that Jesus calls us to make judgments about whether fruit is good or bad. So obeying Jesus actually requires making judgments. And if that's true, what can judge not mean here? Well, the answer is right there in the text we just read. Why ought we not to judge? For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why ought we not to condemn? For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why ought we to forgive? For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why ought we to give? For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Said another way, friends, God is not a hypocrite. 
He will use our own words and actions as the measure by which he will deliver judgment back to you. So, if you judge others for how they treat uh, for how they treat their friends, God will judge you for how you treat your friends. And if you judge politicians for their lies and half-truths, and that's easy to do, isn't it? God will judge you for your lies and your half-truths. And if you judge classmates or coworkers for their poor work ethic, God will judge you the next time you are mindlessly scrolling through Instagram. And if you judge parents, watch out now, for how they do or don't discipline their kids, or for you arriving late to church, or for their kids making a ton of noise during the service, or any of the 10,000 other ways that it is so easy to judge parents, guess what? God is going to give you four loud, active boys that simulate the effects of a hurricane when they enter a room, and you're somehow supposed to get them to sit still and be quiet for a whole 30 minutes every week at church. Your mileage may vary. But you see the point, right? How many of us in this room, packed full of kids, have said, I will never let my kids get away with that? Oh, Father... Forgive us. And we should cry out to our Father to forgive us. He will forgive us, this text says, as we forgive others. Jesus says it will result in a good measure given back to you. He says it will be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. The image here is that of a generous merchant. Okay, so you go to a market... And you have a, a, a bowl or a cup of, and, and you say, I, I want this much grain or this much spice or whatever. And a generous merchant will make sure you get your money's worth. So you buy a bowl of that grain and he'll pack that grain in there and then he'll shake it a little bit to make sure that it all kind of sifts down and you get the most possible space and then he packs more in there. That's what a generous merchant would do until it's overflowing into your lap. Okay. Now, I was trying to think of a modern equivalent for this, because most of us don't go and buy our grain that way, probably. And the, the best equivalent I could think of is Five Guys. Okay, bear with me. Have you ever eaten at Five Guys? Five Guys is a fantastic restaurant, a little pricey, but it's really, really delicious. And if you order fries at Five Guys, this is what they do. You don't get like a little paper sack of like a dozen skinny fries, like at some unnamed restaurants. But... They take a giant cup and they put it into a paper sack. And then they take a heaping scoop of delicious French fries and they pour it into that cup. And then they shake that bag a little bit. And then they take another giant scoop of fries and pour it into the cup that clearly cannot fit any more fries in it. And it spills out all over your bag. Okay? That is what this is like. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. 
So if we get so much generosity from God by being generous and so much judgment from God by being judgmental, why do we get this so wrong so often? The answer is found in our next section of text. So please read with me verses 39 through 42. He, that is Jesus, also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is it, take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So, uh, I live in Park Forest, if you're familiar with the area, and not long ago I was out leaf blowing the last leaves of the season when I got a piece of, of dust or a little leaf debris or something in my eye. Okay, so I'm, I got a backpack blower, big industrial thing, and I'm, I'm out there like this, just blowing all the leaves, and all of a sudden something flies up into my eye. I should have been wearing eye protection, but I wasn't, and it's in my eye. And I'm now like, I'm like this, and I'm trying to blink and get it out, and, and it was in there for a few minutes. Like, it was really painful, but, you know, stubbornly, I just kind of kept leaf blowing, and so I'm walking around like this. I look like a crotchety old man, like, with a leaf blower on my back. And, and eventually, like, my eye watered enough, and, and, it, and it came out, um, and when I, when I then looked behind me at the area that I had been leaf blowing for those few minutes, there was a clearly noticeable difference in how many leaves I had missed because I was in pain going around like this and just trying to get through it until it came out, okay? Now, imagine that instead of that little speck of dust in my eye, I had this <laughs> sticking out of my eye. Okay, we've gone beyond crotchety old man, and now we're in like zo- zombie horror movie or something, okay? And, and really, the word that Jesus used here, log, like yes, this is a log, this little birch log, but like the, the word that Jesus is talking is, is actually more of like the supporting beam of a house is more of what that word connotates, okay? But I, I can't hold that. So I'm going to hold this log here. Now imagine that with this log stick out of my face, I were to like look over and see Peter Kroll sitting there and say, brother, you got a little something right here. Let me get that for you. That'd be ridiculous, right? Of course, Jesus is not speaking of physical blindness here. He's not speaking about physical wood getting in physical eyes. Rather, he is speaking of spiritual blindness. And listen, the really crazy thing about spiritual blindness is that you can actually have a giant log sticking out of your eye and you won't even know it. You have no idea that you're blind. You are absolutely blind as a result of this thing in your eye, and yet you feel absolutely confident that you can and should serve as a teacher, going around and instructing others about how they can do things better, and you're grading them on it. 
right? And you're failing them with a giant red spiritual marker. Jesus tells us, judge not and you will not be judged. But fail with a giant red spiritual marker and you will fail with a giant red spiritual marker. You hypocrite. And listen, if you are a hypocrite, as Jesus describes here in this text, you will probably say amen to that last thing I just said. You're like, yeah, that's right. If you're failing, you should fail too. And you'll say amen. But listen, you think when you read that, that Jesus is talking about someone else. He's not. He's talking about you. Now listen, if you're, if you're one of the people in here taking notes, write this down. And if you're not taking notes, you should be because you're going to forget this. Okay? When Jesus says, you hypocrite, write this down, he's talking about me. That's what you should have in your notes. When Jesus says, you hypocrite, he's talking about me. That's not Tom Hallman judging you. That's Jesus, the only person who never had a log, let alone a speck, in his eye. And thus is the only one with the capacity to mercifully call you a hypocrite for that. You've got a big problem. You've got a log sticking out of your eye, and you're blind to it, and you're a hypocrite on account of it, and you're incurring God's judgment as a result. So what can we do? How do we fix this? How do we get a log out of our eye if we can't even see it? Don't worry. That's where Jesus goes next. Verses 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good measure, a good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, if you come upon a thorn bush, you do not expect to find figs there. No, figs come from fig trees and thorns come from thorn bushes. And if you come upon a bramble bush, you don't expect to find grapes there. No, grapes come from grapevines and brambles, whatever those are, blackberries, I guess. Uh, They come from a bramble bush. Regardless, not grapes. So Jesus summarizes this in verse 44. Each tree is known by its own fruit. Cool. Makes sense, right? The most obvious way to know if a given tree is an apple tree or a pear tree is to look at the fruit it produces. I have an apple. That must be an apple tree. I have a pear. That must be a pear tree. What is the point of these agricultural truisms? Well, in verse 45, Jesus explains that people are a lot like trees. Verse 45 says this, What a man produces tells you what the man treasures in his heart. Now, the treasure of your heart refers to whatever it is that you really want. 
It's what you consider of, of greatest worth. And whatever that is, whatever you're treasuring, it will show up in what you produce. It will come out of you. So if you're producing good, you can know that you're treasuring good. And if you are, if you are uh, producing evil, you can know that you're treasuring evil. And so the most obvious way to know if you are a good man or woman or an evil man or woman is to look at what you produce. Make sense? Okay, now, remember, Jesus is sharing all of this in the context of talking about hypocrisy. His concern is that we act hypocritically when we go around offering to take specks out of our brother's eyes when we ourselves uh, are not even recognizing the log in our own eyes. Why do we do that? Here's why. It's because we think we have good hearts. We think that, we're that what we're treasuring in our hearts is good. After all, we're helping others see the specks in their eyes, right? Isn't that a good thing to do? But that log, that log is sticking out of our eyes. And it's blinding us to the big, ugly, rotten, evil fruit in our lives that our evil hearts are producing. In other words, we don't have good hearts. We have wicked, selfish, judgmental hearts but we're blind to it, which leads to this question. Why is this fruit illustration here? Why didn't Jesus just stop at verse 42 with the admonition to take the log out of your own eye? I think it's because he's mercifully offering us, blind as we are, a hint of what to look for around the edges of that giant log sticking out of our eyes. He's mercifully helping us to recognize our hypocrisy. We may think we have good hearts, but do you see that rotten fruit kind of on the sides there coming out of your lives? That's not an anomaly. That's not a fluke. It's the fruit of a rotten heart. You're a hypocrite and a blind one at, at that. Listen, did, did you yell at your kids last night? No, it wasn't because you were tired. It's because, according to Jesus, you have a bad heart. Did you cheat on your exam last week? No. It wasn't because the professor made the exam too hard. Jesus says it's because you have a lying heart. Do you fantasize about that person you are not married to? No, it wasn't because of what they wore or what they did. Jesus says it's because you have a lustful heart. Now, please don't miss the point here, friends. Yes, your evil hearts and my evil heart are really big problems. But listen, in this text, Jesus' concern is not that we have evil hearts. That is a problem. But Jesus' concerns here is that we fail to recognize our evil hearts. And that's a far worse problem. Look, if you have cancer or heart disease or some other terrible health problem, that's bad. But by God's amazing grace, you can go to a doctor and they can diagnose you and they can heal you and you can, you can be healthy again. But if you have 
cancer or heart disease or some other terrible health problem, but you don't think that you do, that is so much worse. You do not recognize your desperate situation. And the results of failing to see a doctor will be absolutely devastating. And Jesus concludes his sermon with an illustration to demonstrate that very truth. Let's look at the last section of our text today, verses 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Here Jesus describes the work of two men, each of whom built a house. One does the hard work of digging down deep and laying the foundation on the bedrock below. The other sees no point in digging, and so he builds his house on the topsoil. And initially, both of these houses looked perfectly fine. In fact, the second man's house might have looked a whole lot better. After all, he invested far less time and effort digging down, so he had far more time, effort, and probably money to, to invest in what was up top. He might even have pitied that first man. But then the flood arose, and we're told that a stream broke against the house. Yes, a stream. A little stream that looked beautiful, and innocent, and provided fresh water all year round, and probably raised the property value a little bit. But then that stream, swollen into a raging torrent by a flood, breaks against both houses. And that first man's house, with its solid foundation, could not be shaken. But the second house, we're told, is immediately and utterly ruined. And Jesus explains this parable for us. The first man is the one who comes to Jesus, hears his words, and does them. The second man is the one who comes to Jesus, hears his words, responds to his words with, Lord, Lord, and then does not do them. Isn't that terrifying? Both these men come to Jesus and hear his words. And the second guy, who is about to be ruined, even sounds holier than the first guy. That second guy is calling Jesus Lord, Lord. The first guy doesn't say a word here because he's too busy doing what Jesus told him to do. So what's the point here? Jesus is telling us that the end of the hypocrite is ruined. Look, the problem is not that one guy experiences a flood and the other one doesn't. And the problem is not that one guy hears Jesus and the other one doesn't. The problem is that the second guy does hear Jesus, but doesn't do what Jesus told him to do. In other words, he's a hypocrite. He says, Lord, Lord, yes, Lord, of course, Lord. And that's all he does. He honors Jesus with his lips, but his heart is far. 
And friends, in your life, the flood is coming. And that proverbial flood could be relatively small things like, I don't know, cancer, financial ruin, maybe even a real physical flood destroying everything you have. Or eventually that flood will be when you die. The final thing. Or maybe Jesus returns and you'll just wish you were dead. Don't be deceived, friends. Jesus is unmistakable in his meaning here. If you are a hypocrite, even a faithfully church-going, holy-sounding hypocrite singing, Lord, Lord, yes, Lord, you will not be happy to meet Jesus face-to-face because he will not be happy to meet you. Remember, Jesus is not saying these things to the godless heathen. He's saying them to his disciples, to those who are willingly choosing to follow him. And when Jesus says, you hypocrite, look back at your notes. He's talking about you. And your end is ruin. So, perhaps, hopefully, you are asking yourself, What hope do we have? How can hypocrites with blinded eyes, evil hearts, and ruined futures find hope? Well, if you're asking that question right now, if you're seeing in yourself the hypocrisy that Jesus is talking about here, I have good news for you. And you should rejoice. For the seed of hope is in those very questions. Because you're beginning to see. You're seeing the log. You're perceiving, even a little bit this morning, your evil heart. And that comes only through the Spirit of God working in someone. What you're seeing right now is what the Bible calls sin. You're seeing that you're not a good person who does the occasional evil thing, but that you're an evil person with an evil heart whose evil fruits are on full display, partially before men and women like us and fully before God. And you're seeing that that you need help. So your application is to cry out for help. Cry out to God. Confess that you're a sinner, a blind one. You're barely seeing, and you need a Savior. And he will save you. And he will open your eyes. We learned last week that that God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And he supremely demonstrated that in sending his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus made it possible for blind hypocrites to enter God's presence. Because not... He not only shows us our evil hearts, but he gives us new ones. Hearts that are delight, delighting in giving and forgiving. Hearts that delight to hear his words and do them. And he gives us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to convict us of sin, and to transform us into the image of Jesus over time. And we have the unimaginable privilege of partnering with him in that work and so if you have if you are crying out 
to Jesus to rescue you this morning, let me give you one additional application to close our time today. Ask others to point out your hypocrisy in your life. I know that's scary. Ask others to point out hypocrisy in your life. Ask them. Invite them. And I shared earlier that the most transformative times in my life have come about as a result of trusting friends calling me a hypocrite. And yes, it always hurts. It hurts to be called a hypocrite. It hurts to have that log extracted. It hurts to, to uh, feel conviction of sin in our evil hearts. And it hurts to have cancer removed. But that pain is short-lived. And to be able to see even a little more clearly and to joyfully give as God gives and to know that the floods can't touch you. Oh, friends, it's so worthwhile. Do it. You'll love it. You will be grateful for it. You'll praise God for it. Now, when when you ask someone to point out your hypocrisy, and they do, don't reject what they say because you don't agree with all of it. Even if you disagree with 99% of what they said, treasure that 1%. Because in my experience, that 1%, as you bring it before the Lord, as, as you start to see the fruits of that in your life, you realize, well, okay, maybe it's more like 20% of what they said is true. And maybe 80%. And then you're on your knees, bawling your eyes out, because it's like more than that. And if you're wondering... Right now, like, okay, Tom, that, I, I get it. I agree. But who would I even talk to? Well, friend, let me remind you that God has given you this church as a gift to help you in your hypocrisy. And more than that, he has given you to this church as a gift to help us with ours. If you haven't already, I, invo- I invite each of you to check out the growth groups that we have going on throughout the week. These are great times to, to study God's word, to get to know one another more deeply so that we can help one another in things like this, to know one another enough and to build up enough trust that, that a, a loving brother or sister can say to you, I think, I appreciate what you're saying. I think you're missing something. There's, there's kind of a log sticking out there. And if you want to join a growth group, friends, I encourage you to, details are on the back of the bulletin, or come talk to me afterwards. I'd be happy to connect you with one of those groups. But friends, there, the point here is that there is hope for hypocrites, for you and me, and the hope is in Jesus. So let me invite the worship team to come on up so we can praise him together. Let me pray for us to close our time. Jesus, you and you alone have the right to call us hypocrites because you're the only one who sees with perfect clarity. Some of us end up with specks in our eyes here and there. Most of us, God, most of the time have big, giant spiritual logs. and We can't see even what's going on. We see little bits of rotten fruit coming out of our lives and we need a savior. Thank you for your text and your word this morning that we can Think about these things for bringing these things to mind. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who 
for the first time is realizing they need a savior. Would you rescue them? Would you welcome them with open arms? Would this church welcome them with open arms? And God, even if this is the 10,000th time that someone has, has heard this text, has read this text, God, would you bring to mind the areas where we are hypocrites? Would you show us in our lives where we are hypocrites? And would you use other people around us, even if it hurts, to help us see our hypocrisy? Rescue us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.